You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. All right, the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading Psalm 87. It's on page 494 in the Bible in front of you. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. You may be seated. Good morning. How's everybody? It's nice out. It's going to be 70 degrees. In like two weeks, it will be cold. I'm not looking forward to winter. Um, anybody? Anybody looking forward to winter? Winter? Okay. Uh, at this time, the ushers can uh, come and take uh, the morning's offering. If you're visiting with us, hey, do you not feel obligated to give? We're so happy you're here. If you could let us know how you found out about us, that would be awesome. There's a little card on the back seat of the seat in front of you. Fill that out, and on your way out, after the service is over, you can just drop it in the, in the wooden box uh, by the door there. All right, so if you are visiting with us, well, well, well hold on, I got a few announcements. <clears throat> so first announcement, on November 14th, we're doing uh, football here. We're going to show football on a big screen. Uh, we're going to do like a chili cook-off. It's at 2, I think kickoff's at 2.30. Uh, you should know who's playing. I mean, it's the Eagles, right? So you, they're not really doing so hot this, this year. But the Eagles versus the Broncos, or Broncos versus the Eagles. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to have giveaways. It will be fun. So come, mark your calendars. It's for the whole family. So you know, if you, if you, even if you're not a football fan, just come and enjoy chili. We'll have some fun prizes for that. And then uh, those, you, many of you know uh, the Abrahams. So Cliff Abraham, I mentioned last week, had gone home to be with the Lord, lost his battle um, due to COVID. And so the memorial service is this Saturday at 2 p.m. We'll be here at Meadowbrook. So if you're more than welcome to attend that if, if, you, if you would like. So that's, that's coming up. And be praying for the Abraham family. <clears throat> and, then, um, and then I have a giveaway. So I thought it would be fun to see how many avid travelers that we have in, in the, the church. So if you're visiting with us, this is, uh, we're doing the sermon series titled Songs. So each week, we look at a secular song that was either written or came out uh, as a result of the pandemic. So it was written during the pandemic and then released, or it was just released during the pandemic. This week, we're going to be looking at turntables, which I'll talk about in a moment. But uh, I will be preaching on Psalm 87, which talks about the nations. So if you have traveled <clears throat> more than once outside of the United States, Stand up. All right. If you've traveled more than twice out of the, out of the United States, remain standing. <coughs> well, I turned it on so you can hear me cough. Um, sorry. If you've, been, if you've traveled outside of the United States more than five times, remain standing. Okay, I'm going big. Here we go. More than 10 times remain standing. Wow. More than 15 times remain standing. More than 20 times remain standing. Yeah, you can, 
lost, you lost count at that point. All right, you guys, you guys get this. Yeah, the same thing in the, in the first service. We had somebody who, you know, you're welcome, uh, traveled over 20 times outside of the, outside of the United States. Like, I'm blown away by that. Uh, and what I gave away, and I have more of these books to give away, what I gave away was a devotional on the book of Psalms because in this sermon series, we had uh, these songs that I selected. Uh, the song that we're doing today was one that was recommended by somebody in the congregation uh, who gets, even, gets, a bi- gets the big prize, uh, which is the devotional book and uh, uh, I think uh, season one of The Chosen. Um, I would pick a psalm that spoke into the message of the song that we you know, looked at. So, so far, we did Holy by Justin Bieber. We did, we did All I Know So Far by um, Pink. And then um, uh, uh, I Need You by John, uh, I think it was Bastia. We did that. So today is uh, Turntables by Janelle Monet. So here, I want to set this up for you. So each of these songs are popular in, in their own right because of the message that they communicate. Of all the songs that I chose, there, this one is, was written in light of, every, the, the, I guess, the racial t- tension that we've experienced in our country, you know, Black Lives Matter, uh, I think there's a hint of critical race theory in this video. And so this is what people are, you know, they're thinking, they're, they're talking about this, this is important to people, and I believe that the church needs to be able to speak into that in, a, in an intelligent, graceful, loving way. And so when I show the video, which I'll show in a little bit, I want to communicate to you, I am not endorsing the message of the song, we're looking at the video, and I'm going to preach on Psalm 87 that I believe speaks into the message of Manet's song. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about her. I'm not going to say everything that is mentioned in my manuscript. You can, if you really want to know more about this woman, you can. I wrote, I have like a page and a half of uh, backstory on her. So Janae, uh, Janelle Manet was born in Kansas City, Kansas, on December 1st, 1985. She grew up in the Baptist, in a Baptist church where she learned to sing, okay? So that's her music. She traces her musical talent back to church. Her, her family um, were musicians in church, and that was her background. Now, do I think she's a Christian? Uh, based on what I read and everything I know about her now, probably not, uh, but, but the church did have a, some influence on her. She released three albums, uh, 20 singles, 18 music videos, she is an actress. She starred in several movies. One of the movies is Hidden Figures. Anybody see the movie Hidden Figures? It's really good. Actually, I like it. It's a really great film. About, uh, it centers around three black females who were instrumental in, in getting NASA to be able to get a rocket into space and, and um, was it go orbit around the moon. I, I, I forget the... It's been a while since I've seen it. Good movie. You should... I endorse it. Anyway, she started in it. I didn't know she started in it until, <clears throat> until I read up on her, her backstory. <clears throat> she was in a writing funk. Excuse me. She was in a writing funk and just couldn't generate any songs because of the pandemic and just kind of where she was at mentally. This was in, a, in an interview that she had. She kind of talked about that. But she was approached by one of the producers of the documentary, All In, The Fight for Democracy, which examines the history of voter suppression and the activities uh, or activists who fight for the rights of U.S. citizens. I'm reading the description of the documentary uh, to you. That's, that's their description. I should mention that on RottenTomatoes.com, it has 100% positive reviews. So one of the producers came up to her and said, hey, could you write the theme song for this documentary? And showed her a rough cut of the documentary. And when she, wrote, when she saw the rough cut, she, one, of the, one of the statements that was made by somebody in the documentary was this, I'm not optimistic nor pessimistic, I'm determined. 
And so that was what she needed to kind of get going to, to write her song. So she wrote turntables for the documentary that uh, Amazon Prime you know, released. You can see that documentary on Amazon Prime. Um, in the song, you will hear these lines. Now, I said this in the first service. I'm going to say it again. Uh, my encouragement to you, my appeal to you, is that you, that you listen, not just to the song, but to the sermon. Um, because the song addresses sensitive, a sensitive issue, sensitive topic, and I'm going to address some stuff too that are pretty sensitive in nature, just give it time, think, listen, and, just, and then draw your own conclusions at the end of the sermon. Uh, because sometimes when we feel very passionately about certain things, so I just mentioned Black Lives Matter, I bet I can guarantee you there's some even in this room and watching the live stream who are already feeling a little angst about, about the mention of that phrase. Or maybe you don't feel any angst when you're like, yeah, you know. Um, so just listen to the message. But this is what she said, or this is what, she said this in an interview related to a line that, that's in her song that you'll hear. A line that she says, America, you're a lie. And this is what she said about that. She said, when I said, America, you are, you're a lie, <clears throat> this is important because when I was writing the lyric, I was not excited about saying it, but it was also cathartic. And it was also a cathartic experience. I think that we have to remember that truth is at the center of any healing and any reconciliation. We can't heal or reconcile without the truth. And the truth is that America has not held up to its promise. Now, what promise is she talking about? She, actually, there's another line in the song where she says, hands dirty, mind clean, a different vision with a new dream. What is she referring to? Well, she's referring to the, you know, the hope of our founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. But she's also referring to, in that song, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. In that speech, Martin Luther King said this, and I know you're most likely familiar with this, but I'll, I'll read a portion of it. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on, that, on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. And so that's what she's alluding to in her video. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you the video, and then I will comment a little bit on Black Lives Matter, the movement, Black Lives Matter, the, the, the organization, because they're very different, and then Black Lives, or no, not Black Lives, and Critical Race Theory. I'm going to just touch on that stuff briefly. So let's show the video, and then we'll get back at it. Because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you agree that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. The table about to turn. Yeah. Uh, I've been flipping through my timeline. Trying to get my mind right. My city cried out. I got to cool down, but I'm under pressure. Cooking with my Crisco. Look at where my fist goes. A renegade when I'm in a rage. I got to cool down. I'm under pressure. I keep my hands dirty, my mind clean. Got a new agenda with a new dream. 
So today, you know, how many of you have heard of critical race theory? Okay, My, I don't have time to unpack critical race theory in this message. I'm hoping in January or the first of the year, uh, I want to do a sermon series where that may I may include that, where I may address some of that, uh, because my feeling, my pos my posture as a as a pastor as a Christian, is that the church needs to be willing and able to engage the world with the gospel. We need to be able to listen, and we need to be able to engage uh, with the hope of the gospel. And part of that is apologetic in nature. We need, to be able to, we need to be able to open up the scriptures and give a reason for why we believe what we believe. So, uh, there's, so you've heard of critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, the movement Black Lives Matter, the organization. Um, you know, like... I, there's a lot of confusion about about the movement versus the organization. The movement is, um, you know, one thing. The organization is Marxist in nature. The founders were Marxist. Uh, they're they're not pro-family. And so I I wrote in my manuscript, carefully thought through what I wanted to say, and then I read what I was going to say to one of the staff, uh, you know, here at Meadowbrook. And uh, and she recommended you know maybe maybe you should read it because and I, so that's what I want to do so I want to read what I wrote because I I wanted to care, I wanted to clearly articulate kind of how I feel and what I feel about some of these things so I'm going to read it for you so I think we're all familiar with the live or with the phrase Black Lives Matter you may be aware Black Lives Matter as a movement is different than Black Lives Matter the organization. The Black Lives Matter movement began as an outcry over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and what is perceived as the ongoing systemic racism in America. The movement said that the lives of black people matter in the same way that evangelicals say that the lives of, of babies matter, or the unborn matter. Out of Black Lives Matter movement came the organization, which is something much different. The Black Lives Matter organization may say that they exist to promote the sanctity of lives of people of color, but its foundation or its founders are Marxist, and its organization's mission promotes transgender rights and the dissolving of the black nuclear family. That was on their list of beliefs on their website. Uh, I, I think they took it down since, but that's that's what they were founded on. Um, to be honest, I do not know what critical, or I did not know what critical race theory was until recently. The best definition I have heard of critical race theory so far is the one given by Tony Evans, a black man who serves as the founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. And actually, if you go on YouTube and you type "Kingdom Race Theology" uh, with Tony Evans' name, uh, his sermon that unpacks critical race theory, Black Lives Matter. Uh, is available to listen. It's excellent. It's really good. I don't agree. I wouldn't say I agree with 100% of it. A lot of it is really, really good. Um, but this is what he said. Critical race theory is a post-civil rights social construct that seeks 
to demonstrate how unjust laws have served as the embedded foundation and filter through which racist attitudes, behavior, policies, and structures have been rooted throughout the fabric of America, American life, and systems. There is, there's much that I want to say and should say, but time will not allow me to do so today. What I will say is that I do not believe America is racist. I do not believe that its laws are racist in nature. I do not believe that most white people are racist, nor do I believe America is a lie. However, slavery existed long before America was founded. Slavery was an integral part of the economy and way of life in America for decades after our nation was founded. And that it has only been 57 years since segregation was officially outlawed in the United States. Therefore, I have no expectation that the roots of an old system birthed out of an ideology that was racist in nature will die off quickly. What I mean by that is, somebody said this, the, as long as it took for the crops to be destroyed, and I'm not a farmer, but he said as long as it, it took for the crops to be destroyed, it will take just as much time, if not longer, to restore them. So, I was it uh, 16, 19 when the first slaves were brought into North America. That's just under 400 years of systemic you know, racism that America experienced. Those roots don't go away overnight. Just because you change some laws doesn't change the spirit and attitude of certain individuals. Um, and uh, since Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, America has gotten better in the way people of color are treated. So much so that we had our first black president, and now we have our first black and Indian female vice president, regardless of how you feel about their politics. What I also believe is that there is much work that still needs to be done. America is not a lie, but it is a project. The promissory note our founding fathers signed guaranteeing the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are still not experienced by, certain, by a certain segments of our nation. In America, nearly 50,000 children and women are trafficked as sex slaves, and, and all of that under the umbrella of a legalized industry, uh, industry called porn. That funds that, that supports that. The so that's in America. And a mother's womb remains the most dangerous place for a baby with just under one million abortions in America this past year alone. We still live in a nation where human life is not given equal value. And, um, and so this is where the Bible speaks into this. Uh, you know, the reason why we hate one another, the reason why we murder one another, um, the reason why there are wars, the reason why more humans suffer as slaves today than any other time in human history is because of the curse of sin. So now I want to turn our attention to Psalm 87 and, and just to unpack this. You know, because I, <laughs> I mentioned this in the first service. I, my grandfather was a bigot. And um, the, the N-word was used frequently by him and, and other members of my family on both sides. I grew up under that. Um, I am not a racist. And so a large part of that is because of what Jesus has done in my life. So there, this passage can be broken into two segments. Now, my guess is that when you heard Psalm 87 read, you're like, huh? <laughs> right? I mean, any of you are like, what is, that, what is that saying? I'm not sure what that's saying. Uh, let me unpack it for you. I, 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 it's, it's worth it. Uh, I, I think, I think you'll, you'll, you'll agree. So first, the first three verses, a city of God promise. So God promises the city. Uh, and verse 1 says, On the holy mountain stands the city he founded. What city is that? Uh, Jerusalem. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwelling places of Jacob. He, okay, and in verse 3, great, glorious things of you are spoken of the city of God. So what's being said there? Well, I think 
Let me just say it this way. Jerusalem as it stands today is a template. It's a, it's a shadow of something more that's coming. The reason why I know that is because of what the Bible says. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it says this, By faith Abraham, um, who God called out of Ur, the city of Ur, to go to this promised land, he is the father of, uh, of the Jewish nation, uh, the Hebrews, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and, and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was, what was he looking for? Let's read it together. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for something more than just what the land of Canaan would provide for him. Uh, it, it, later on in the book of Hebrews, it says that this city that Abraham was looking for is the same city that we long for, um, which says this, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. If you're taking notes, that's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. And so this city that we read about in uh, Psalm 87 is a city that God established, that God esteems, and that God uh, exalts. In Psalm 24, we learn what, why Jerusalem? Why, why Israel? Why, why that area of the world? Why did God choose it to, choose to do things that way? Where we're told in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world of those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Why did God pick Jerusalem? Why did he choose to do things the way that he, that he does them? Because he's the owner. <laughs> he created all this. He's the owner. And so we're told in verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Well, why? Well, what happens at the, uh, at the gates of a city? When you enter into a city, there's commerce, there's, there's family visiting family, you know, that you greet your family as they come in, there's friends visiting friends. It's similar to what happens at DIA every day, all throughout the day, when you're waiting for, the, for those people to come up the escalator after they get off the train, right? Have you ever stopped and observed how people interact with one another? I mean, have you ever seen like an argument break out, or has anybody ever cried out, I've been waiting for you and I hate you, why am I here? Like, I never experienced that. It's always hugs, kisses, smiley faces, tears. Why? Well, for, for Denver, that's the gate, <laughs> you know, to enter into, to enter into Colorado. Well, it's the same thing with the gates of Zion. In fact, one commentator said this about this verse in verse 2 it says the gates of the city not only provide pr protection from enemies but also served as the primary pathway of entrance where both visitors and citizens gain access inside the gates usually was a plaza where friends meet together or met together the people uh, bought and sold their goods city officials pronounced legal decisions and preparations were made for entering the place of worship in essence, Zion's gates represented Israel's heart and soul. God set his delight on the essence of their very being. So you, you even have these people from different nations that would enter through the gate. And so what's being said in verse 2 is, the Lord, Yahweh, God, loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Why? Because that's where he's bringing the nations into uh, which, which is amazing. Um, why Zion? What's so special about Jerusalem? Why the Hebrew people? Why did, he, why did he pick Abraham? Why didn't he pick somebody else? To answer that question, uh, we find Moses' answer in Deuteronomy chapter 7, speaking on behalf of God, said this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. We'll come back to treasured possession at the end of the message. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other, uh, any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, 
for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, why, why did God do it this way? Because he loves you. Why does he love me? Because. <laughs> that's the answer that's given to the Hebrew people. And um, in verse 3, we read, Glorious things are spoken, of the city of, uh, sp- spoken, O city of God. Not only is the place of Jerusalem or Zion the place that God has established and esteems, but it is the place where his glory will be enjoyed and uh, experienced. This city that Abraham was looking for is the one that we're told about in Revelation 21. The city that we're longing for is the city described to us by the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Everything that we long for to be true of our country and other nations is what will be experienced when God makes all things new and, and this heavenly Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem and this new earth and everything else is made new. That's why later on in Revelation 21 we're told after that he will wipe away our tears. Um, when Mary was told that she was going to have a son and that son was going to be the promised Messiah, she was said, it was said to her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, right? Let's see, where am I? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. For how long? How long? Forever, right? And of his kingdom there will be what? No end. Ronald Reagan described America as a city on a hill, or, or a light on a hill. And um, the only place that's going to be a light for the nations on a hill is the city that God will, will, you know, establishes where his son, Jesus, will reign and rule from. Jerusalem. And, and all the nations will experience that. People from all different ethnic, ethnicities and backgrounds will experience that. Like we're told in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be seeing these on Christmas cards, or this verse on Christmas cards, right? Let's, let's read this together, ready? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What, why do we need a king to, make, to bring peace on earth? Why do we need someone like Jesus so that we could experience righteousness and justice forever? Is because it's not possible to experience it the way we're meant to experience it today. Like, like as, as much as our founding fathers were, hoped that we could be the kind of place where righteousness and justice was experienced, we fall so far short as a nation. And not just our nation, nations all, around the, all over the world. Uh, there is one light on a hill. It is not America. It is Jesus Christ reigning and ruling in this city, with his people, people that he has brought from various, from all, all ethnicities and backgrounds, he's brought together, which leads me to the second part of this psalm, the people of God celebrated. Like, the psalmist is celebrating what God is doing in the midst of the nations. Look at verse 4, if you have a Bible or just listen. Um, 
among those who knew me, or among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab. Rahab was nicknamed was a nickname for Egypt. Okay, so among those who know me, I, I mentioned Egypt and Babylon. For those of you who kind of were here when I was preaching through Daniel, you, you know enough about Babylon. Definitely not a friend of the of the Hebrew people. Um, Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. Do you know you know what these nations represent? A lot of pain for the Hebrew people, a lot of angst for the Hebrew people, a lot of misery for the Hebrew people. Rahab, or Egypt, they enslaved Israel. Babylon oppressed Israel. Philistia and Tyre uh, sought to destroy Israel. Cush sought to persuade Israel to follow after other gods and to be more like the world. And what the psalmist is saying here is God is drawing people from these nations to himself and that they will also live and dwell within the gates of Zion. And it's a, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing of the gospel, what Jesus is making possible today. And um, it goes on to say in verse 5, And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. Well, what is he saying there? Well, the Egyptian and the Babylonian, the person from the continent of Africa, from Europe, wherever, they will all, these are people that will be brought into the kingdom of God and, it will, and they will have the same rights and privileges as those who, who God promised these things to, like Abraham. You will be my people. You will be my treasured possession. I'm going to love you, not because you deserve it, but because I've chosen to love you. You will be mine. No culture and no people will be above the other. Let that settle on your hearts for a little bit. No culture or no people will be above the other. How will they be redeemed? Through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is why Jesus was nailed to a cross. He died for Rahab. He died for Babylon. He died for Philistia. He died for Tyre. He died for Cush. He died for you. He died for me to redeem us. To make us one people. I didn't ask Ed last week. Ed spoke, preached from Revelation chapter 5. I didn't ask him to preach from Revelation chapter 5. When I found out that he was going to preach from Revelation chapter 5, I'm like, sweet. This like totally sets up Psalm 87. What does Revelation chapter 5 say? And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Let's stop there for a second. They sang a new song. Who's the they? The nations. How do we know it's the nations? Because he ransomed people for God from every what? Tribe and what? Language. How do they know there's different languages here? Because they're still speaking them. <laughs> and people and nation. When we celebrate, for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, when, you, when we celebrate the Lamb of God who was slain, who was the line of Judah, I've got a, I mean, in my brain, I'm picturing... Man, the majority of the voices that will be singing will, uh, will be in the language maybe Mandarin from China or, or Spanish from all other places in the, in the world. Or maybe different dialects, you know, in, in Far East Asia, like in Burma, there's like, there's Burmese and then you have 14 factioning tribes, they have their own language. Like people, I believe, it will be singing this song I believe in their own tongue, in their own language. You know, like when, when God makes all things new and when Jesus is reigning and ruling in Jerusalem, there's not going to be an American flag flying over, flying over Jerusalem or any other flag. It will be Jesus who will be reigning and ruling. And you, you know, English is not going to be the predominant language in the kingdom. <laughs> right? Guess what? I, we'll have all eternity forever to learn languages. I really believe that. I think the Bible supports that. And culture. Like the way people dance in one culture might not be the way that you dance in this. Maybe uh, we're in Wyoming. I don't know if you dance or you do. What, what do we do in Wyoming? We do. What do we do? Swing dancing. Yeah, swing dancing. I don't do any dancing. I'm, I stink at it all. Um, I try. But uh, 
but like they'll all be celebrating. And all the cultures will be celebrated, not because they're predominant or whatever. They'll be celebrated because, because of what the Lamb of God was able to do, what Jesus was able to do by drawing a people unto himself from every tribe and tongue and language and culture and nation. And here, you know, what we, the reason why there are wars, the reason why our world is so jacked up is because we are the only species on planet Earth that has set ourselves against the God of all creation. I mean, if you don't believe me, I mean, there's all kinds of passages in the Bible that tell us. Let's go to the next one. None is righteous. How many are righteous? None. Good Sunday school answer, right? Good church answer. None is righteous. And in case you're confused about that, no, not one. (laughs) No one understands. No one what? Seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. I don't know how that works, but it's not good, right? They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of that, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have what? Not known. <laughs> you want to know why there's wars in our world? You want to know why there's infanticide in our world known as abortion? Because we're a species that doesn't, we do not know peace. And here's the reason for all of that. Let's read this together. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And yet what we learn in Psalm 87 is that God is pursuing these people. Like we were part of this at one point in our life. He is pursuing these people from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, from people who speak all kinds of different languages, from different cultures, different tone, tonal color in their, in their skin. He, he's doing that. And it goes on, like the Bible continues, like, you want to know, you want to know how jacked up we are? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you walked. He's talking to those who were Christians who used to be this, that's us, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience. You were dead. How dead? Dead. Thank you. <laughs> dead. <laughs> and how dead is dead? Dead. Right? We need a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection. And the same answer that was given to the Hebrew people in Deuteronomy chapter 7 is given to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and I, I'm not going to have it on the screen, where it says, but God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and and sins, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. Amen? Why did God choose to do it this way? Because he did. So what is the result? Well, just as the old children's song states, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So what's happening out there in the world? It shouldn't surprise us, right? We were there at one point in our lives. Is there a reset button for what's happening in our nation? Man, I don't know. Is there any way to turn it around? I'm pretty pessimistic at this point. But does that have to be true for the church? Nope. You want, to know, you want to know why Jesus said before he went to the cross, he said, listen, let me tell you something. By the way you love one another, all people will know that you belong to me. Regardless of skin color, cultural background, language, the way you love one another, that's how people will know that you belong to me. You know, as the people of God as followers of Jesus, our posture is that we worship God, we love him with all of our soul and and, and all of our being, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. It starts with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it finds its way out into our communities, our, 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 our families, our friends. 
that as we love one another, we have a moral obligation to stand up against, to stand against injustice. We have a moral obligation to, um, to, to, to look out for the widow and for the orphan. We have a moral obligation to bring a little piece of heaven into the experience of those who do not know Jesus. I, I, we sang a song, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton. John Newton uh, was a slave trader. You, many of you know this already. He, he had his own slave tra- ship. Do you know what he did on the slave ship? He abused men and he raped the women. Somebody gave him a Bible, and I think it was during a storm on one of his boats. He was just beside himself, thought he was going to die, and he started reading the Bible, and God started to grab a hold of his heart, and he began to see that he needed Jesus, and he gave his life to Jesus. He wound up becoming a pastor, and he was haunted all of his life about the life that he lived previous to him coming to faith in Christ. He was haunted by that. In fact, he said, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. He mentored William Wilberforce, who was in Parliament. William Wilberforce wanted to become a pastor. He came up to John Newton. He said, I, I, think, I think I want to be a pastor. And John Newton encouraged him and said, no, you need to stay in Parliament. You need to fight against this evil thing called the slave trade. You need to fight against it. And William Wilberforce did that. For years and years and years he fought against it. We have a moral obligation to stand up for what is right and to stand against the injustices of our world. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's really going to affect change is the kind of change that only the gospel can do in our lives. That's real change. We can write laws, and laws are good, and and good laws should be written, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. So, Galatians chapter 3, and I'm, I'm wrapping this up. This is us. If you, play, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your faith rests in him, this is you. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God and daughters <laughs> through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is, let's read this together, ready? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Amen? Like, that's us. All the dividing wall has been brought down. It doesn't matter your, your ethnic background. It doesn't matter your, your gender. You belong to the bride of Christ. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. You're, you, we belong to him. We are members of his kingdom. Members of his kingdom. And in case if that were not enough, let's go to the next slide. You are a chosen race. Well, I thought I was American. Well, yeah. But you are human. <laughs> like I, 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 It irks me how we have these forms we've got to fill out. and it's, On the form it says race, and under it says Caucasian, Asian, whatever else. I'm like, I'm always tempted to just write human being. <laughs> That's my race, human. <laughs> but I'm Caucasian. My ethnicity is Caucasian. I'm a mutt. <laughs> I, got, I got German in me. I got, um, I got a little bit of Italian in me, Jonathan. Just a little bit, though. <laughs> and uh, I got Irish in me. But under Christ, we are one, we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We belong to the kingdom of God first and foremost. We are secondary citizens of the United States of America. We are number one citizens of God's kingdom. We are a people of his own possession or treasured possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received what? Mercy. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so uh, verse 7 concludes with, the singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. You know what that's saying there? 
when, when God makes all things new, and when Jerusalem, New Jerusalem becomes our experience, when King Jesus is ruling and reigning on earth, there's going to be a party. <laughs> He's going to throw a party. And who's going to be there? Former prostitutes, <laughs> people from the continent of Africa, from Europe, from China, <laughs> from America, from Mexico, from all over the world. We will be there, and we will celebrate the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And, uh, and I just want to end with this. Will he, do away with, with, will he do away with culture? I don't think so. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Um, I think culture will be celebrated. The same way that for some of you who are married interracially, you, you, you blended cultures together. You, not, not just interracially. I mean, some of you just come from other parts of the, of the country. But the thing I think of is, is like my marriage. So my wife, Roy Ma, is very Asian. I am very Caucasian, in case you're wondering. <laughs> like, if I go outside, I will combust into flames because my skin will, turn, will, go, will just ignite, it will combust. I need to lather my body up with sunblock. <laughs> We are from opposite ends of planet Earth, literally, opposite ends of planet Earth. And, um, and you know, her, my wife's native language is Kachin. She grew up in Burma. And, uh, and that is the language, if you ask anybody whose primary language is different than English, they will tell you that that is the language of the heart. That is the language they pray in, that is the language they think in most of the time. And like if you ever see you know, anybody from a different culture who's been away from their culture for a long time back with people from their culture, it's like a party, man. Like the conversation picks up. They can talk in their native tongue. It's a joy to be able to do that. Uh, I think those are the kind of things that we'll experience in heaven. And so in the kingdom, there will be people who speak Mandarin. There will be people who speak Spanish. There will be people, a very small group of people who speak English. <laughs> there will be a larger group that speaks Spanish. And, uh, and we'll have all eternity to learn these cultures and to celebrate them. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, who purchased the people from every tribe and language as his own. Amen? And so we, not, we might not be able to change what's happening out there, but because of what the gospel has done in our lives in here and in the church, capital C, all over the world, we are a different people. And uh, by the way we love one another should speak volumes to a people outside who have never experienced the kind of love that you experienced and the kind of love that I experienced. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Psalm 87. Thank you for the promise that you are going to make all things new. God, our world is a mess. Our nation is a mess. I, I can't, I, it's just so divided right now. And I don't know if there's any reset button. You know that, Lord. But what I do know is that you change lives. What I do know is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform people. What I do know is that that same gospel is responsible for breaking down the barrier, dividing walls of so many people. And for that, God, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.